Thank you so much. And I did think you guys looked fairly dark. <laughs> so, uh, what is it like I like to wear black and gray or something? I don't know. I don't get it. Over the hill. Thanks a lot. I'm going to set this over here. I knew that wouldn't last long up here. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. I'll be honest with you today that I had the hardest time figuring out what God would have me to preach today. I, I don't know why. That's happened to me a few times um, over the years. It's, uh, it's a funny thing figuring out what you would preach. You think, and I guess sometimes it, a lot of people do it this way. I don't know, maybe I'm just weird, but. You think, well, you got a whole entire Bible, you know, just open it up and pick a section and start preaching. But while that's true, I, you know, I guess you could teach like that. I don't know. Preaching is a little different. Could be wrong. But I tend to, when I preach, try to find the scripture that seems to come alive and what the Lord would have me to share. I, I do believe in the Spirit. I believe that the Spirit is still leading and moving and guiding us and that if we are sensitive to the spirit that uh, we could be more in tune with God and what God would have for us but uh I was up till two o'clock in the morning I've been studying all week thought I had my direction was up all night last night got up early this morning studied another three hours or so and I don't know here's where I land and we're, we'll see what God does with it um I don't have any notes. I don't have time. I ran out of time. So um, let's just see what God, you want, you want to just see see what God does. We'll just trust God and see where it goes. I don't know. Um, as long as we're in the Bible, we'll be just fine. Um, before we get started, let's pray uh, that it, God would move in our presence and uh, that he would have his um, will revealed and his word um, opened to us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together in your name, Lord, to open up your Bible, to open up your word, to study and to seek after you, what you would have for us. Lord God, please guide my words today and uh, give me gospel utterance, Lord, that I would preach nothing but Christ crucified, and uh, Lord, that we rest in the fact that, that that's enough, that's all we need. We love you, we thank you, and, and we are appreciative of all that you have done and who you are in Christ's name. Amen. So, uh, John chapter 8, verse 31. I want to I pick it up here, and uh, we're going to move through a good amount of Scripture. Um, and, and I just want to touch, and we're just going to let the Spirit lead to see where we go. The, the, the Scriptures are so interwoven together. It's amazing the, the, the connections that we see and the way that everything just falls into place when you start to read and you start to gain an understanding of, of who God is. And, and that's why I would encourage you, read your Bibles. Read your Bibles and, and read large amounts of the Bible. And then read small amounts and really chew on it and study it. 
Read different places in your Bible. Read the New Testament. Read the Old Testament. Read the Old Testament again and then read the New Testament. Familiarize yourself with God's Word that it would be natural to you. I know it's not natural to most people, but for those of you who are spiritual, who have been born again, the Word of God is what is in us. If you're born again, it's only because the Word of God, the abiding seed of Christ, His Word has been planted inside of you and dwells and abides inside of you. That's the only reason that you could be born again. The Word of God is the seed. And so familiarize, familiarize yourself with that so that it's just the way that you think. It's the, it is the lens through which you see everything. And it, it, it's just a part of who you are. Familiarize yourself with the Word. I'll talk to you a little bit about that a little bit later on. But uh, as for now, uh, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And I'm going to read part of it, and then we'll sit, and, and we'll pick up the rest of it as well. But John chapter 8, verse 31, we'll start there. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you, uh, how is it that you say you will become free? <clears throat> Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because of my words, because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. A great distinction is being made here by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to know my opinion on this matter it would be the distinction between those who are religious and those who are sons of God now I don't want to wrap too much in the word religion because we know that religion can refer to true religion as James tells us or religion can be a catch-all phrase that speaks of those who are about the outward appearance of religion but not the inward change and transformation of actually knowing God. I'm using the word religion here in that sense that it is a it is an outward uh, appearance or it is a display of some type of ritualistic observances that would that would suggest to others that you know God when in actuality you don't really know God. That is what Christ is saying that he could set them free from. That he could set them free from pretending to know God, from being convincing themselves that they are uh, in relationship with God, to actually being freed from sin, freed from the show, freed from the lies, freed from all of the uh, weights and barriers that stand between them and God that they could actually come into the presence of God and actually be counted 
as sons of the living God. I ask you today, now these were Jews, uh, these were Pharisaical Jews who had lived their entire lives in a religious type of way, that they had a great outward appearance, that they held the law of Moses in high esteem, so it appeared, that they put great barriers around even the, the specific laws themselves, they would even add to them to make sure that they did not go outside of the bounds of the law. And they took great pride in the fact that they were keeping and aggressively pushing the law of Moses onto everyone around them. The problem was that they did not keep the law of Moses themselves. Whether in the specifics, oftentimes, or even the greater heartbreak is that they failed to keep the principles that the law of Moses was built on. These were those who had an appearance of godliness, but in the end it was all destruction and rot. Now, there's a lot of different opinions about the law, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about the law today. We will be talking about it as we go on because it's all throughout the Bible. But what I want to say unto you today is, is that we deal with these same issues even if you have no clue what the law of Moses is. We deal with the issues, as the Jews did, of taking something that is good and has its proper place and making it God and acting as if we are the ones that can enforce what God alone can bring into existence. We have the audacity to think that we can control people and control ourselves in order to bring about the pleasure of God. I'll tell you what I mean. It's hard for us to trust, isn't it? It's hard for us to trust that God is doing a great work in us and will keep us and keep those around us. That the power of the Holy Spirit, the power in the new birth, is enough to hold and to keep and to sustain those of us who are truly born again. So what is the temptation to do? Since we have such a hard time trusting the power of the Holy Spirit, we tend to set up those borders and wall people in as if we were the ones going to cause them to persevere to the end. I'm guilty of it myself. How many times do I have brothers or acquaintances, people that I care about, who have come to taste the heavenly gift, who have been in a place where it seems as if they have come to know God. They've made changes in their life that seem to be evidence that they have come to a place of a knowledge of the truth. They've maybe quit some sins in their life. Maybe they were on drugs and they've quit. Maybe they were uh, uh, very uh, 
sexually promiscuous and they quit that maybe they were a cheat and they quit that and it seems as if the word of God maybe had taken root in their life the spirit of God had transformed them and you're praising God you're you're thanking God and then all of a sudden they start to turn and they start to go back out into the world and you get frantic anybody know what I'm talking about Somebody you care about, somebody you love, you're watching them and they've come so far and you think this salvation is real and they start to turn and they start to go back and you get scared, you get frantic and what do you do? You start putting up borders, you start putting up these rules, you start setting up checklists for them to follow. No, you got to make sure you're reading. No, you got to make sure you're in church. No, you got to make sure you're not smoking dope. No, you got to make sure you're not sleeping around. You got to make sure. And we try to put them back up under the checklist. We try to put them back up under the regulations as if the regulations had anything to do with their transformation. It did not. Any true transformation comes by the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit alone. Paul tells it this way in Galatians. He says, are you, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being perfected by the regulations of the flesh? By the condemnation of the flesh? By destroying the flesh? Are you going to continue on growing in your transformation when it began by the spirit? Are you now going to pick up as if the spirit left off with works of the flesh? We cannot regulate, we cannot codify biblical principles that transform the heart that is by the power of the Holy Spirit only. What Christ is coming to say is that you cannot regulate yourself into relationship with God. We still do that today. How many of us in this room right now are thinking that we have right relationship with God because we go to church a certain amount of time or because we do a certain amount of Bible studies per week? How many of us think that we have relationship by God, with God because we tithe this week and last week? And, and I'm telling you, this is a reality. I've had people come up to me and say, Pastor, I'm sorry I ain't been at church, but I've been tithing, so I'm covered. I promise I have had people tell me that. As if you can pay off God, that he's not angry anymore. And that's exactly what you're doing. When you think that God is just fine and dandy with you because you paid him off with your church attendance or with your whatever, fill in the blank. Now I'll give you the other end of it too that's just as sad. Just like you can't regulate yourself in, you can't unregulate yourself out. How many of you have been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit and you have fallen into some type of sin? And we know that every believer falls into some type of sin at some point. First John tells us that if, if you know God, by this we know we've come to know Him. If, he keep, if we keep His commandments, the one that says He's... He, 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 uh, the one that says that he knows him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him, right? So we know that we must be pursuing after God. We know we must be in Christ. But it goes on to say the one who says he has no sin is a liar and the truth isn't in him. But when we do sin, we are to take heart because we have an advocate with the Father. Listen to me. Here's the other side of it is that when we think, when we, when we think oh, I've sinned. God doesn't love me today. Oh, I've fallen I must be outside of relationship with God today. I'm not, I'm not 
following the, regula the regulations that I've set in place for myself, and therefore I am not a child of God anymore, and I need to overcome this so I can go back to God. I do not feel comfortable going to God because I have failed in this way. What that is actually saying in a roundabout way is that when I can come before God, it means that I am worthy because of the works that I have completed. Do you see what I'm saying? It's necessarily the other side of the coin. When you're in a place where you say, oh, I didn't tithe last week. I can't go before God. I didn't read my Bible today. That, that's, I, I, I can't go. I, I failed. I was mean to my wife last night, so I'm, I'm not going to read the Word today. I'm not worthy to do it. Well, were you worthy the day before to read your Bible and to pursue after God and to rest in Him because you were being nice to your wife? Is that what buys us oneness and relationship with God? Is to make sure that we are following the regulations that we find in Scripture. No. Christ got you in and no one can get you out. If you're truly born again, you're born again. And when we fall and when we fail, then we do what John tells us in 1 John, is that we realize and we understand and we rest in the fact that we have an advocate with the Father. Christ Jesus, and we take our case to Him. I have a buddy of mine who always said, we don't plead guilty, but we don't plead innocent. We plead the blood. Christ is the one who sets us free. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Set you free from what? The binding, burdensome nature of the commandments. Free you from the commandments? No. Free you from the binding, burdening nature of of the commandments, I'll tell you what it looks like in real life times. Simple as you can possibly want it. I have somebody that I'm trying to convince to come to church with me. And they don't want to come. I'm trying to convince them with probability and statistics regulatory principles don't you know that families who are in church have a much higher rate of staying together a less a lesser rate of divorce don't you know that children who are raised in church with a father and a mother have such and such chance better in life of being successful don't you know don't you know that God hates it when you're not assembling together? Haven't you read? Haven't you read? Do not forsake the gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. And they go, all right. I'll go, man. Just get off my back. You, you've got them there. But do you have them there? You got them there, but do you have them there? And what this is speaking of here is that when Christ comes in and the truth sets you free, 
then you are released from the obligatory nature, the, the obligatory binding nature of that which God has declared as good and your desires shift from having to, being compelled to, to having to because you must, you love, I need it. Your desires change. Now, check this out how that works. Paul tells us in Philippians, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He says, go after it, son. Get after it, boy. Go get it. Why we're to be working. Fear and trembling. Putting our hand to the plow. Getting it done. But how does it work? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who is at work in you both. So God is the one bringing about any good that's going to take place. You cannot do what God has called you to do. You cannot love how God has called you to love. You cannot walk. You cannot talk. You cannot do. Brother, hey, listen. Where, where is it? Hey, that, that's what you were talking about this morning, isn't it? You can't do what God is calling you to do without God being the power inside compelling you and propelling you and changing you and bringing about what needs to be brought about because there's nothing good that dwells in you. Only Christ's righteousness dwelling in you, coming out of you, is what God desires. That's the only thing God desires. Nothing else. You can't will it out until God wills it out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who is at work. God is the one who is at work. What? To do what? Both to will, there's the desire, and to work. You see, God changes the desires so that the work flows naturally out. That's what transitions it from religion relationship that's what transitions it from employee employer to son and father that's what transition is transitions it from a I have to go to a I get to go so this is how God fulfills his law his principles his life this is how the law of Christ works this is how the law is written on the heart because the undergirding principles that were underneath every single command that's ever been given in the entire Bible was God's glorification in all that we do and say. That's the, lift, the uplifting of the Son of the living God through your person. That's why God can say that this fulfills all of the commandments. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. And to love your neighbor as yourself. That's why when we do that. And the only way that that comes is through the, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That bought, buys us back. And the Holy Spirit imparts and imputes to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is the love of God. That is the love of neighbor. There is no other love of God. Except the love that Christ has when he came. And he poured himself out unto God. No one can do that. Save Christ. And no one gets to enjoy the benefits of that except for Christ and all of those who come in through the atoning, propitiatory sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross to buy you as a son, brother. You understand that, Chris? 
is that you were bought and paid for, adopted, brought into the family, fellow heirs with Christ through his blood. That's why. That's why we come into the family of God and we're transformed by the Spirit of God to, con to be conformed to the image of the Son that we might be Christ to a lost and dying world. And it moves from a, I have to do this or I can't do that to I get to do this and I would never do that. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we would become free? They, didn't, they did not see their slavery in the least. They did not understand what he was saying. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he says, the wisdom of God is foolishness to those who are passing away. The things of God are folly to the natural person. They cannot understand it because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And as Jesus was pointing out to these, these were the most religious, upstanding, suit and tie wearing, just, you could not find someone who looked more the part. want to be like him when i grow up but with all of their rules and regulations they were they were whitewashed tombs as it said elsewhere of these same individuals full of dead men's bones fine china looking great on the outside but filthy on the inside they couldn't see it Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do, uh, and you do what you have heard from your father. You see, what does Jesus do? He goes to the source of the situation. He says, yeah, I know you're offspring of Abraham. Yeah, I know you're ethnic Israel. Yeah, I know you've had all of these laws. I know you got the law of Moses. I know you got the promise. I know you got all this stuff. But you've missed the entire point. And therefore, you've missed the reward. And as set apart as they were by all of these rules and regulations and stipulations as distinct as they were and that's what that's what one aspect of the law was was to distinguish them from the rest of the nations that's what leviticus eleven forty four says in that section to distinguish them as distinguished as they were they were as far from god as they could possibly be as a matter of fact, Jesus says, you offspring of Abraham, okay, I speak what I have seen my father do, and you're doing what you have heard your father do. Wait a minute, what? Wait a minute. The Jews will say, wait a minute, what? They answered him, Abraham is our father. So we're getting into a dispute now about who's, who's my father, who's your father, who's their father. And remember what I told you, remember what the text said, is that the slave cannot remain in the house forever, 
Only the son remains forever. Why? Because only the son inherits the house. Only the son has the right to everything that the father has. My kids have full access to everything that I have. All the money in the bank. All the, all the material possessions. Every, all the food in the house. Everything. It's all theirs by inheritance. But the people that work for me, as much as I love them, as much as I care for them, they got to go home at some point. The, my friends, our acquaintances, they got to go home at some point. Why? Because they belong to another house. You catch it? You belong to another house. That's what he says. I see my father work. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what I've seen my father doing. And he said, you do what you have heard your father doing. You need to go home, bro. Because you're out of place. This ain't your house. And he's talking to, he's talking to the Pharisees who were the Jews, who were the nation of Israel. He's talking to the people of God. Distinguished by all of their laws, all of their regulations, all the things that they did in order to prove that they were people of God. And he's looking at them, he says, you're not people of God. You're not people of God. You're doing all these things. You're not, you don't know the Father. I'm telling you about the Father. You've you got another Father. You're not going to get to stay with God. You're not going to stay here. You don't have a relationship. You've got to go home. You've got to go back to your Father. Wait a minute, our father's Abraham. No, he's not. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children. Now watch what he said. This I find very, very interesting. He just agreed with them just a few minutes ago. He said uh, in verse 37. Yeah, you are. You're right. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. He already agreed with them that they are offspring of Abraham. They're seeds of Abraham. So in one real sense, they did descend from the line of Abraham. Amen? That they were Israelites. These were the people of God. But on an inward heart level, they were not. He says, if you were Abraham's children... You would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. Wait. What? They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. <laughs> you don't find the humor in that? <laughs> I mean, they're like taking this on a literal level now. They're like, what you trying to say? That our mama slept with the devil? That's got to be what, I mean, literally what they say. They say, hold on. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. They wasn't nobody sleeping around and that's how we got here. Basically, Jesus is telling them that your mother got down with the devil, and here you are. And they understood full well what he was saying. They say, we have one father, even God. Going back to that 
portion there just for me. It says, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. What did Abraham do? What did, Abraham did a lot of stuff. But what, what, what do you think would be the one thing that would pop into their minds? What's the most famous story that you can think of when, in reference to Abraham? Yeah. Now, there's no indication in the text exactly what he's speaking of, but we know that Abraham's obedience in uh, taking Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice him is said that this was credited to him as righteousness, his, his obedience, his love. And what type of love is this? I think, I think that we can all see that it's what I was talking about formerly. It's that, it's that I'll do whatever you tell me to, God. It's not about what it costs me. It's not about what I can gain from you. It's about, man, I love you. I'm in awe of you. I, your your, your uh, command, I, I'm at your beck and call. Whatever you want me to do, God, I love you. I just want to worship you. You just tell me what you want me to do, God. I'm yours. Anything you want me to do, sacrifice your son. Okay. Okay, God. I, I, I don't know how this is going to work, but I trust you, and I want to obey you. Yeah, okay, God, I'll, I'll do it. Let's go, Isaac. And Isaac's walking up the hill, and he's seemingly pretty observant. If you remember the story, Isaac's like, uh, hey, Dad, I see the wood, and I see the knife. Hey, man, I think you forgot the ram. Dad, I think, hey, we might need to go back. And Abraham's like, son, God will provide. Oh, goodness gracious. And the display of the gospel in this is magnificent. Abraham walks Isaac on up. Can you imagine, like, this is my son. Man, I love my son. I love all of my sons. I love my daughter. I would gladly give up my life and breathe my last breath to protect them for a moment. I promise I would. Man, I love them. My little girl crawl up into my arms, and I just snuggle with her, and she get up in there. Man, I love my kids, right? Can you imagine? You got kids. You got you got kids. She's sitting, snuggling with you right now. Like that's amazing, right? Can you imagine, Brett? Can you imagine being like, "Come on, girl, let's go." Oh. Abraham, I can only imagine, right? I can only imagine. Abraham just, <laughs> I mean, how could he not? I mean, unless he was just like an evil man, and he wasn't. I mean, you know, you got to imagine Abraham marching his son up this mountain and holding him by the hand. And, and Isaac's question is like, Daddy, where is everything? And Abraham's like, son, God's going to provide, son. I don't know how, how if, you know, he's going to provide. He didn't know how. Maybe, maybe God would raise him back from the dead after he killed him. But he gets him up. He builds the altar. He lays him on it. He straps him down. And he raises the knife. And right, he's going to kill the boy. He's ready. I wonder how long he stood like this. God, are you sure? We have no, we have no record of that, though. It says he raised the knife and a, and a voice came from heaven. Wait! Do not harm the boy. And he heard a rustling behind him and it was a ram. He called in the bushes. 
God provided a sacrifice so that Abraham would not have to kill his son. But you see, so many thousand years later, another father would march his son up a hill called Calvary. And he would strap him to the wood. And he would raise the knife. And the only difference is, is that he would not stay his hand because that's what it would take to buy you back and to set you free. Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham, but now you seek to kill me. He says, if you were Abraham's children, you would have the type of faith that Abraham had. And we know that he's talking about obedience to the truth because look what he says. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. When God told Abraham to kill Isaac, Abraham believed him that it was truth, that it was what needed to be done. He said, yes, God. And that faith was credited to him as righteousness. Well, let's move a little further. They said to him, we were not born of sexual morality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. If you loved God, then you would love me, because God's the one who sent me here. Why do you not understand what I say? This is Christ speaking to them. How is this so hard for you to understand what I'm saying? If you're of God, then how could this possibly be? How many times have I felt this way? I'm trying to talk to somebody about the things of God. And they say that they're a Christian. They claim the name of Christ. Oh, I'm a believer. But the simplest things I'm speaking to them about, about love, about dedication, about commitment, about being a father to their son, about being a husband to their wife, about being a wife to their husband, about being a daughter, they completely miss everything because they do not know God is the only conclusion that one can come to. You cannot, nor should you have to try to regulate a Christian. Very controversial verse. Paul says two times in the book of 1 Corinthians, everything is lawful for me. Wait. Hold up, what? Could you murder somebody, Paul? You misunderstand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that there is no law code that binds me because the law of Christ is written on my heart that compels me. I need no law code over me. Remember in Romans chapter 1, Paul's talking to them and he's talking to them about the law that the Jews had and they wouldn't keep it. And then he makes this 
fantastic statement. He says, like when the Gentiles who do not have the law live in such a way that they fulfill the law, they do so because they have become a law unto themselves. Because they show that the law of God is written on their hearts. What law? They didn't have the law of Moses. Explicitly says that. What law? This law spoken of here and what Paul, I believe, is speaking of in 1 Corinthians 10 and 1 Corinthians 6. What he's saying there is, is that there is no law that binds me to do what should be done. For the law of Christ, and he's, he says the love of Christ elsewhere. We can just say Christ, law of Christ, love of Christ, the greatest commandment, Christ himself. That the love of Christ, Christ himself, is in me and written on my heart in such a way that I need no binding regulatory force of law written code on me because the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death to live kind of looks like this if you love god then there is no reason for us to put signs in here that says do not pick each other's pockets i could put a sign up here that says do not pick each other's pockets but it would be absolutely useless and it would not be binding on you in the least why because because when you see that because you would start picking each other's pockets is that what i mean when i say that if I put a sign up that says, do not pick each other's pockets, and I say, you're not bound to that, does that mean pick each other's pockets? No, it means that you're so filled up full that that sign has nothing to do with the reason that you don't pick each other's pockets. That sign has no influence on you. Now, why do I say all this? One, I've been thinking through a lot of these things, and it's just what's in me right now. Thinking through a lot of it still. But secondly, this seems to be exactly what Jesus is speaking of here. He says, if you were, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It, it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. There, that his word was in contrast to what they were saying. They could not accept what he was saying. They could, not, they could not bear to hear that he was the fulfillment. They could not bear to hear that he was the one sent from the Father. They could not bear to hear all of the revelation that he was bringing in to their presence. He, they could not stand the fact that he was the gate. Why? Because they needed to be able to be distinguished by the things that they did. You see the power being lost here. 
See, that's what people love about a religious system. There's great power in a religious system, but there's great tragedy too. Whether it's an independent church or a, a Pentecostal church, whatever it might be, when you start to establish rules and regulations in order to prove who is and who is not the godly, the mature, the obedient, outside of those who are in Jesus Christ, okay? What you do is, is that you always fall into one or two places. Number one, prideful arrogance. Okay, in order to be the mature of God, these are the commands that you must obey. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. These are the ones. This is how we know. Look at that written code. Check, 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 check. Mm, check, 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 check. Yeah. When you peasants get up here, then you will know what it's like to be godly. And you see it. We've fallen into it here before, right? Judging me because I got a suit on. <laughs> and in all, in all honesty, non-suit tradition can be as traditional as suit tradition, if you know what I mean. Whenever you establish your way as the right way and only way, you've got into the wrong way. Anyway. So the first is prideful arrogance as if you have kept whatever said law that you think that you need to put in place. Number two, dreadful despair. Because either we click off all the check marks, read my Bible, wear my suit, tithe, prayer, quiet time, whatever. Either you've checked them all off and you're like, Or you're like, nah, ooh, really messed that one up. Oh, man, I am just a, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't. Prideful arrogance, dreadful despair. But in Christ, we didn't do it, but every bit of it's been done. <laughs> you can't be arrogant because Christ has filled up every empty spot. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Praise God, he was hung on a tree for you and for me. That our debt might be paid and we might be free. Praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's filled up every empty spot. Every work that needed to be done, he did it in full, complete, total perfection. The works we couldn't do, we could not follow any of the law, but Christ followed the whole sum total of the law and imputed that to us. So you see, where Christ is concerned, 
We have completely fulfilled every aspect of every law that's ever legitimately been written in Christ in total in full. And we are now imputed with the full, active, obedient righteousness of Jesus Christ. And, 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 and it's completely done. It is finished. And so we have completed it all. But what is beautiful is, is that we don't boast in any of it. So they've all been checked. But we can't boast because we didn't check them. Christ checked them. And we ne when, we, when we struggle, we never hang our head in despair because Christ did it all. Christ fulfilled everything in our place. And he does this work inside of us that switches and, and changes us and draws us and transitions us from this place of obligatory slavery to longing, desiring, passionate pursuit. That when we fall, we don't roll around in our disgusting filth, but we, we jump back up, right? Um, it's funny, I've, I, you know, playing with my kids and we'll be having a good time. Uh, I've seen this happen and it just popped into my mind when I was looking at these things, but um, it doesn't always happen this way, but my kid, my boys, we'd be playing uh, before and take off running, just kind of chasing each other around, having, having fun. We went and played some paintball uh, last, was it last weekend, last Sunday? I about broke my shoulder diving behind a berm, too old for that junk, over the hill. I have fun playing, but I just got to remember how old I am. Um, but you ever been playing with your kids, and you take off really fast, and they'd be trying to chase after you, but they're still little, and they're all kind of awkward, so they, like, take off after you to try to chase you down, and they're like baby giraffes, though, you know? And they're like, boom, and they hit the ground, and they're all scraped up. And normally, normally, they'd be like, ah, and they might still do that. But if they have, if they have just, that, just enough des desire to keep chasing you because they love you and they want to play with you and, you and they don't want you to get away, then they completely forget about the blood running down the side of their leg or their arm or whatever. And they're just like, wait for me, right? You see, now that's not always happening, especially like you got a little girl like Ella, right? She's just like, wait for me, <laughs> you know, come back for me. Um, so it's not a foolproof analogy, but some of the boys are like that when they were young. And, and what, what, I guess what brought that to my mind was, is that the love that they had for me and the desire that they had for me, or it could be some of their friends, the love of the relationship that they had was so strong that it overcame the pain that they felt. Because it's not always easy to follow after God's uh, word and, and after the spirit is it's not always easy sometimes it costs us a lot you know Paul I uh, was reading in in first uh, Corinthians and he's talking about how uh, Peter talking about this too but all of them all the apostles all you know Paul's making a defense and in Corinthians he's like you know look you guys are set up like kings he's like well, we need to you know I'd like to have a little bit of that he said but us uh, apostles we're we're the bottom of the batch we're the we're, we're catching all the flack. You know, we're getting beat down, lopped up, 
shipwrecked and cursed. But what does he say? He says, but these things I don't even count worthy to be compared with suffering to the glory that will be revealed in us, Christ. I don't even care. What? I don't care. Why? You see, an, em an employee or a slave, a contractual relationship cannot endure those hard times. It can endure some. If the pay's really good, you know, if the benefits are really good, you know, and it doesn't have to be like a work atmosphere. It could be, you know, some type of relationship where there's exchange of goods, whatever it might be. A contractual relationship can only make it so far as you, as, as, as the appreciation that you have for the compensation that you're, you're receiving. Make sense? In other words, you're not going to go past what you're feeling going past based on the pay that you're getting. It, it has limits. It can only go so far, right? But when it's a covenant relationship, then those limits are off. It's family. Go to the end of the world. Anything. It's not obligation anymore. It's desire. Well, as we finish up, I want to I want to move ahead a little bit because I want to get into this place where I'm going to actually jump ahead a good bit. So he's talking to them about, you know, who his father is, who their father is. He's told them that uh, their mom was in a sexually promiscuous relationship with the devil. <laughs> People say Jesus didn't have a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, let me skip down, though, and I want to skip to verse 48. The Jews answered him, are we not writing saying, uh, right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? <laughs> I mean, come on. How wicked could they possibly be? Jesus Christ, they look at him and they say, you're demonic. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon. I love how he just, no, I don't got a demon. <laughs> I love that. I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Which is understandable if you don't, I mean, again, let's go back. Paul explains to us that the spiritual things are foolishness to this world i mean this is insanity right what jesus is saying is to an unspiritual person to an unredeemed person to an unregenerate person this is crazy jesus okay now listen to me the pharisees who had studied the scripture they're missing it right but they're here they're listening to this guy talking and this guy says Look, he says, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Everybody throws their hands up. What? <laughs> this guy, he's here. We are, we, are, we are the children of Abraham. Who is this guy coming up in here talking about, 
Our mama done got down with the devil. What? Who is this guy I think he is? This is crazy, right? They look at Jesus. They say, you got a demon. And Jesus is like, I don't have a demon. No, they say, we're pretty sure you have a demon. And then Jesus says, listen, if you will listen to my word and live by my word, then you won't even taste death. Now we know you got a demon. This is crazy. You are crazy. Why couldn't they hear it? They didn't trust Jesus. They didn't care about Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus. They didn't trust Jesus. They did not believe that he was speaking the truth. They were not part of his family. They had no love for Jesus. And then they asked him this question. He said, that, that I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham, now they start making this case. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Now, do you see the connection that they made? So Jesus says, if anyone keeps my word, he will never die. So what they connect to in their mind is, is that, hold on a second. This guy says he has the power over death. Hold on a second. The Abraham that we've been talking about, who, is, who you say is your father and not our father, he died. But you're saying that you have the power over death, yet Abraham, who is the patriarch, Abraham, he died. Not even Abraham had the power over death. And you're sitting here telling me that anybody that believes in you will not taste death? Hold on a second. Are you making yourself out to be even greater than Abraham? So here we are. You're telling me that we're not really sons of Abraham and that you're actually the son of Abraham? That we're not really worshiping God, that you're really worshiping God, and that we need to listen to you in order to not die because you have the power over death. So not only is God your father and that you're the descendant of Abraham, but that you're even greater than Abraham? Are you crazy, man? Watch this. My favorite. This is like... Hold on. They say... Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Are you greater than Abraham and the prophets? Who are you? Who are you saying you are? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me and whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be the liar, like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now it's getting really good because Jesus, if you don't think, now Jesus is laying down truth. I mean, layers of it, right? But if you can't see the kind of sarcastic, you know, way that he's doing it, man, you can't read in this word right from my, in my opinion, okay? Because he could have said this a million different ways, but he's just like sticking him in a thing, you know, Abraham is your father, no, he's not, you know? He's just really giving it to him like, like they want it, you know what I'm saying? 
And Jesus is like, you think Abraham's your father? No, he's not your father. Wait a minute, yes, he is. No, he ain't. And neither is God your God. As a matter of fact, your mama done got down with the devil, and that's where you came from. Wait, what? My father's God. Your father's a liar, and you just like him. You took after, look, you just look like, you look just like your daddy. Just a liar just like him. Like you want to really insult somebody? You go up to him and you say, man, you a liar just like your daddy, right? You really insult somebody like that. And Jesus is like, listen, you think Abraham's great? Let me tell you something. You believe in my word and hold on to my words, you won't even die. Wait, what? You, are you kidding me right now? Okay, so not only is Abraham not our father, that, that God is your father and that you are, you are even greater than Abraham? Yeah, I'm greater than Abraham. What you talking about, Cletus? Before Abraham even was, and he, he had to have used these words intentionally because, one, nobody talks like that, right? And, two, this is the Tetragrammaton. This was Yahweh. This, when Moses asked God, at the burning bush. And it was Jesus at the burning bush, if you didn't know. The angel of the Lord. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it, right? Moses talking with Jesus at the burning bush. Talking with God. And he's like, Moses, you go tell that Pharaoh that he better let my people go. And Moses like, I don't talk real good. And God's like, I got you, bro. I'm going to send Aaron with you, okay? But listen, you go and you tell them. But they won't believe me, God. Who am I supposed to tell them sent me? They say, I'll say, okay, Moses, listen. Listen up. Tell them I am sent you. Wait, what? But that ain't even a name, God. That's what I would have said. <laughs> right? That's what I would have said. But God, that ain't even a name. Who you want me to tell them? Tell them I am sent me. And, and a lot of, lot of questions around why he told him to tell him I am. I, I, the best explanation I've ever heard and I like is that it's an all-encompassing statement. I am who I am, and that's who I am. And it don't matter, because I am who I am, and that's good. Right? There is nobody greater. There's, so he, he just is. Well, Jesus slaps him right in the mouth with an I am statement. Coming up here in just a minute, okay? So he says, Abraham, he said, even before, he said, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So what, had to have, what he had to have been saying, and they're going to see it, is that Jesus is saying that I am before Abraham. I am before. Abraham rejoiced to see my day and was glad. Now watch. So the Jews said to him, you are not even 50 years old. <laughs> and have you seen Abraham? This is good, right? Because Jesus is like mounting the schizophrenic crazy mental institute worthy individual right to all of these and think about the pharisees the pharisees are like the upstanding supposedly upstanding citizens they would have been the high fluting suit wearing and jesus is a 33 year old galilean peasant who didn't have a wife or a political office and here comes this now he wasn't as bad as john the baptist he wasn't walking around in camel hair's coat eating loaves bugs you know what i'm saying but he did stroll in with sandals and you know he didn't have the you know, all that and here this guy is just slapping them with with funny sticks you know just you know they every time they turn around he's just just wailing on them and here he said abraham rejoiced this is this is a man 33 year old galilean peasant okay he held no political office he hadn't wrote a book yet 
except the Old Testament, I guess. He, uh, he was never married. He never had any kids. Some guy comes strolling up out of the wilderness, literally. I'm like, who is this guy? Who do you think you are? Abraham rejoiced to see my day and was glad. Wait a minute. You're not even 50 years old. You are not even, that's literally what they say. You are not even 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? You mean to tell me that you have spent time with Father Abraham? Father Abraham, right? You, you spent time with that guy that they wrote the song about, that we read the scripture about. You was with him. You ain't even 50 years old. How could you possibly have witnessed or seen or talked to or have any awareness of him in actual personal relationship with him? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Boom! The I am statements, you should study them. Remember, when, remember that time in the garden? This is one of my favorite stories. I, I, said this on, I saw this on Facebook the other day. Somebody said, if you could transport, you only got one chance, okay? You only got one chance. If you could transport back to any moment in biblical, in New Testament biblical history to see Jesus, and I guess you could expand it any time in history, to see one thing, what would it be? And you know, there was people who had the answers on there, you know, resurrection. That would have been cool. Uh, virgin birth. I didn't even watch my kids' birth. Uh, all these different things, right? You know what I put? I put that time in the garden. It always just gets me, man. That time in the garden. When Jesus is there, he's hanging out with his disciples, and they're praying, and they're doing their thing. And uh, a whole a whole army unit comes out to arrest Jesus. And the commentaries suggest up, upwards of 300 men. For one Galilean peasant with a few fishermen, disciples, and tax collectors, right? And they roll up on Jesus, and they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am he. And it says the whole troop drew back and hit the ground. <laughs> the one instance in human history that I would go back is that I would go back to see that. I would love to see Jesus standing there, regal. And they <laughs> roll up, and they're like, we're looking for Jesus. And he's like, I'm he. That's what I want to see. That's exactly what I want to see. That's it. That's the point. Why did they fall down? Even before Abraham was, I am. Now, two connecting points, and we need to close it out. Chapter 12. He's talking to the Pharisees who were adherents and, and super concerned with keeping the Mosaic Law Code. I only say that to show the 
connection here. What he's saying to them is, is that you think that you are pleasing the Father by the things that you're doing. But you're missing the point of the entire thing. And you're seeking to come through the things that you do instead of the faith that you have in God. Do the things. But just know that it's Christ that is the point of all the things. Before Abraham was, I am. Before any covenant was made, before any laws were given, before any demands were made, before any regulations was put on, before sin even came into the world, Jesus Christ is the great I Am. And in order to know God, in order to be free from sin, death, condemnation, in order to be free to the degree that you can actually live a godly life, you must be born again into the family of God by the shed blood of Jesus Christ so that you come into sonship instead of slaveship. You go from obligation to passionate displays of adoration and longing fulfillment to whatever God would call you to do. That is when we move from letter to spirit, law to grace, physical to spiritual, hands to heart. And no longer will anybody have to bind you with anything, for the law of Christ will be dwelling in you to such a degree that that love would compel you to be who God has called you to be. <clears throat> and we learn who we are called to be by studying who Jesus is in his word. This morning, if you don't know Christ, then you don't know life. And you may have regulated yourself up one side and down the other. Hey, I'm all for some spiritual discipline. You need to put some parameters around yourself to protect yourself that you would continue to pursue after Christ, spiritually discipline yourself, whatever. But I'm going to tell you this. You cannot regulate spirituality. And I know it's a scary thing to say that if the sun sets you free, then you're free indeed. I know it's a scary thing to say that you know, we're free in Christ that we can run in the freedom and the spirit of the living God. But we must trust God to will and to work in those whom we're talking to. You can't regulate yourself into peace with God. As a matter of fact, the more you try to regulate peace with God, the more unrest you'll have. Because you'll never be able to meet enough standards in order to gain the favor of God. And to appease his wrath that abides on all unbelievers. The only hope for that is to give yourself fully and completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who paid for your adoption as sons. Who bought you, paid for you with a price that is greater than silver or gold. The blood of the spotless and blemishless lamb.
Do business with God today. Give your life to Christ. Lay down whatever's hindering you. Fall down at the foot of the cross. Be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Your debt's been paid.